Hello and welcome to Giant Mess, a sloppy sports and entertainment talk show that covers Giants football, Mets baseball, movies and TV shows. It's got some comedy and life lessons mixed in for good measure. It's hosted by Giant Mess. That's me, the real cinch, Neil Lynch. I'm a former college quarterback and pitcher turned over thinker. I also have a degree in film and media studies. Uh, brag much? Yeah. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about taking my daughter to her first ever football game. It was a college football game. The Princeton University Tigers versus the Harvard Crimson Tide. I'll tell you how that all went. And then we had a big Sunday. Big fall festival Sunday. In every respects of those words, respective words. We made some spider donuts. We went pumpkin picking at a pumpkin patch at the orchards where there were cider donuts and apples and pony rides and a scavenger hunt and all that good stuff. And then uh, we've been watching a lot of Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. Like, multiple times, on loop. There's nothing else that we're watching other than those two movies. She's five. Is that too young? Stay tuned. And then I'll recap and react to the New York Football Giants game against the Washington Commanders, a.k.a. the Commies. We'll break down how the offense performed, the defense, special teams. An ugly win, but a necessary win. And then we'll preview the upcoming game against uh, those guys in green that we have to share the, the apartment with, you know? The Jets. How do we go about beating this team? How do we go up against that defense? That is just ferocious. And can we make Zach Wilson see ghosts like Sam Darnold done seeing ghosts? We'll take a look ahead at the remaining schedule. And maybe I'll give you some thoughts on the MLB playoffs as a Mets fan, from a Mets fan perspective. What's been going down, what's been going on, and uh, yeah, there's some interesting takes from Mets fans. So without further ado, allow us to commence. I have my daughter this weekend. And it was, I know I say this almost every weekend. I feel like I'm competing to win dad of the year. Am I in the running? No. But God damn it, I'm trying. I'm trying to find every single possible activity under the God-given sun to keep my daughter active and entertained. And so when she looks back, she'll say, you know what? He wasn't so bad after all. I know he's lazy. And I know he's uh, full of spite, but <laughs> goddamn, he tried. That's that's all I want on my tombstone. Well, at least he tried. Uh, on Friday, we had our date night. Went to Chuck's Spring Street Cafe in Princeton, right there by the university, right by Nassau Street. Uh, parking's a bit of a bitch down there in that area. Uh, here's something that I don't understand. 30-minute parking that you have to pay for? Oh. Take the meter, lube up the, the two-hole, and gently slide it up there. Why, dude? It's it just like every, you know, I'm a, I guess I like capitalism, but, like, it just goes too far sometimes. <laughs> like, you need to squeeze out that kind of cash from a 30-minute parking spot. Come on now. Just make it free. And then you ticket the person if they don't move. Like, it's that simple. So uh, I originally uh, mistakenly parked in a 30-minute paid spot. And I was like, well, 
it, I could do this in under 30 minutes, but I don't want to like rush it, you know? Uh, I want to take my time, I want to savor this. I mean, it very well could last five minutes. That's not out of the question, but odds are it'll probably last a little bit longer than 30 minutes. So I had to find another parking spot, a three hour parking spot right down, like, like right down the street. And uh, I've never been to this place before, but I do remember that it does ring a bell. Uh, when I transferred from Notre Dame High School to Hun, the Hun School of Princeton in the fall of 1996, oh, what a, what a fall and what a year. Uh, I remember in training camp for football, we ordered uh, one night. I don't think it was every night. It was like one night we went, we, we got to go hog wild and we got to order hoagies and wings. And so we, we ordered the hoagies from Hoagie Haven, which to this day, I don't know if it changed ownership, but it just sounds like an awesome place. And I think the hoagies are pretty decent. I'll say that. And then we got the wings from Chuck's Spring Street Cafe. I'm like fairly certain. They're known for their wings. So what did I order? They're known for their wings. Obviously, I'm going to get the wings, right? <laughs> Wrong. And this is where I lose people. And this is why I'm not relatable. I'm not likable. I took one look at the prices on those friggin' wings. And I said, nope. As much as I want these wings, as much as I know you guys make awesome wings, as much as I will enjoy them, I can't, it's, it's, I got to take a stand. No more will I succumb and bow down these fucking outrageous prices on wings. I'm going to wait this I'm going to wait this thing out and it's going to come back down. Will the recession help? I thought we were already in a recession. I guess the recession's coming up. Just wake me up when September ends. It's October, Neil. What are you talking about? So yeah. No for the wings, didn't order the wings. So what did I order instead? Jalapeno poppers and mini tacos. And boy, oh boy. Let me just say this. This Chuck Spring, Chuck Spring Street Cafe, not known for either of those things. And never will they ever be known for those things because goddamn, do they suck. And I know what you're saying, jalapeno poppers, Neil, are you 12? Yes, eternally. I will never not. If you have it on the menu, strong consideration, I will, I will get it every single time. And what's wild is they miss the mark more than they hit the mark. Jalapeno poppers uh, have probably one of the all-time worst records when it comes to satisfaction with me, but I just love the idea. And when you get a good one, like the on the border, and I know you've already you've already like vomited a little bit in your mouth. You're like on the border. Oh my god, are you twelve? Yes, we just we just mentioned that. I'm twelve. On the border has these firecracker jalapeno stuff poppers things that are massive, and they're amazing. But yeah, most of the time you're going to get like the nuclear jalapeno pepper poppers that you would get at the bowling alley. Nine times out of ten. And it was like the the way the, the, the fact that it was given to me and presented to me so quickly, it's like, did you make any of this? Or you just, did you just make the sizzle with the oils and the basket? You just fried it. You just took it out of the freezer, plopped it in the the, the oil and fried it up go <coughs> mini tacos sound good i should have known something was up when i saw the number 12 next to mini tacos i'm like 12 mini tacos for that much money what a bar 
bargain. And it's like, no, Neil, you're just a fool. Because these came out and it was like each one was probably this size. Uh, if you're watching the video, you can see. If you're not watching the video, uh, inch, two inches. That's what she said. Uh, and like maybe a morsel of meat in, in each little pocket. They were more like empanadas, mini empanadas. But uh, just hardly, just a, a, like a sliver, a sheet of meat in each mini taco. So yeah, I was bummed. Not great. And to make matters worse, I was so hungry for whatever reason. And uh, I could feel that they were hot in my hand, but still decide to shovel them in my mouth. And I burned the piss out of my tongue. So uh, yeah, so fried, so awful and so hot. Burnt my tongue, was feeling that for a good day or two, pretty much for the whole weekend. So uh, do not recommend the poppers and the mini tacos, which is probably the last two items on the menu that most people would order. And yet, who does? This guy. That's I'm the reason why they're still on the menu. They're like, I know you guys want to get rid of these two items, okay? Nobody orders them, but this one guy does. And they don't cost us anything because they're just in a, hanging out in a freezer. So let's just keep it around. Um, I got Bria hot dog. And uh, I got to tell you this, I don't know what's going on with hot dogs at restaurants. I'm not sure if there's been some kind of a summit or a conference, but the fucking size of these hot dogs have become ridiculous, especially for a girl, a five-year-old girl. This place didn't have a kid's, me kids menu. All right, that's fine. You're near a college campus. Why would you? I ordered the hot dog thinking like, I'm just going to get... An Oscar Mayer wiener. I'm going to get a Nathan's famous hot dog. Like, I'm just going to get a standard issue regulation hot dog. And uh, they brought it out. It is the size of my arm. I don't even think I can finish this fucking thing. And, uh, and the guy puts the plate down. And he goes, would you like an extra plate? And I'm like, I would like to know why none of your staff pointed out that that hot dog was going to be entirely too much for this little girl uh but i get it you know you want to see you, you you guys were in the mood to see something and now you, you're gonna see it so um to her credit she finished that fucking hot dog <laughs> i cannot believe it i mean not the so she does this thing where i've said it before where she takes the bun eats the bun first and then she'll eat the actual hot dog wiener this bun was huge so huge and thick and so I put tons of ketchup all over that and the, the hot dog, and she ate probably half the bun, but it ate the entire wean. So super proud of her. You know, that's really good stuff. So uh, she did have to go potty, and I was like, a little wave of panic hit me. But then I remembered I saw a sign, restroom for customers only, and I was like, okay, thank God they have a restroom because apparently around this frigging campus, no one pisses or takes shits. Because there are no public restrooms or restrooms anywhere in any of the restaurants that I know of. Um, they're all secret or employees only or need like a code. So it was good to know that this place had a restroom. Go back into the restroom and it is disgusting. Smells horrific. And uh, after what transpired in there, I can kind of understand why it smells so bad. It stank. I know why it stank now. <sighs> 
open the door, step in, immediately hit with a waft of horrific smells. There is a, what appears to be a paper towel dispenser above the toilet. On that paper towel dispenser is a sign. And, you know, sometimes you have to do this. Not usually in, like, classy joints, high-end joints. But in places like this, hole-in-the-wall place, yeah, you probably need a sign like this. And I've seen signs like this. And you probably can guess what the sign is. This sign was a little different. I took a picture. And and I'll read it to you, what was on the sign. Please do not flush anything. No, in capital letters, no, N-O. And then a list of things. At the top of that list, it's four things. At the top of the list, the first, the very first thing is toilet paper. Please do not flush anything, no toilet paper. You know, that invention, that thing, paper that's meant to go in a toilet and be flushed in a toilet? Can't, can't flush that. And then it has your other standard issue. Uh, what the sign typically is in 99% of the other restaurants that have this sign, no paper towels, no feminine hygiene products, no trash. I get the last three, dude. I get it. I do not get the first one. So if you're a guy, and I imagine that it's mostly guys going to this place, I can't imagine a ton of chicks go to this place. This is like a dude's place. We went in, it was all dudes at one table. There were a couple of people that came in, they were all dudes. It's a dude's pet. It's a, it's a dude place. There are no ladies. And so it's, it, they must have been like, like baffled that when they saw a five-year-old girl work and walk in, they're like, what is that? So guys, they piss. We don't need any of those things on that list. Girls, when they have to pee, do need the toilet paper to wipe. And so uh, I was like, well, I don't, you know, as much as I think they could just probably use a new toilet, let's just, after you wipe, just throw the toilet paper in the, uh, in the trash. But my God, boy or girl, what do you do if you have to take a shit? What if you had to dump it up? Are you really going to wipe and throw it in the trash? Kind of would explain the, the odor. So uh, I'll try and post that on the socials to get, like, try and get a like. Just one. Woof. Uh, so what we've been doing, we came back home and um, pretty much since I had her beginning on Wednesday, I was like, what do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? After dinner or when we're trying to relax, you know, uh, wind down for the night, what do you want to watch? She says Ghostbusters. And I'm like, hmm, I'm trying to do the math. I'm trying to figure out, like, when did I first watch Ghostbusters? Like, Ghostbusters came out in 1984. I was probably three. I don't think I saw it when it first came out. I think I saw it when I was maybe a little bit older. I want to say like five or six. So maybe seven. So yeah, I guess this would be appropriate for her. You know, you can't go by the rating system because the rating system, I think, was still, it was either like PG or R. I don't think there was any PG-13 or anything like that. So that's why I think a lot of parents are not like hip to the jive or whatever wouldn't know that any movies like 84 and before if it's pg like you maybe keep on your toes you know head on a swivel so yeah it's rated pg and i was like huh 
So I just reached out to her mother and I'm just like, hey, she wants to watch Ghostbusters, said she watched it with you. Is that true? And she And she eventually got back to me, but it was after we'd already started the movie. I was like, you know what? You know what? Parental guidance does not stand for uh, please go away. It means parental guidance. PG, parental guidance. I'm supposed to guide her through this. I'm supposed to be a parent. This is what we live for as parents. We're challenged day in and day out, every second of the waking moment. So I was like, I'm going to guide her through this fucking thing. I'm going to parentally guide her through this goddamn movie. Um, And she handled it fairly well. You know, there was some profanity, but nothing crazy. There are no fucks, I don't think. No F-bombs. There are a couple shits. I think there's one or two assholes. Um, and, of course, there's. we'll, we'll get to some other adult-themed scenes <laughs> in a little bit. But So, okay, there's a couple shits, couple, there's a couple assholes. So what's the bad word that my daughter calls out to me every time? She calls it out. She's like Leo DiCaprio in... Uh, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, pointing at the TV with the beer in the hand and cigarette. What does she call out? Hell. Hell does not even register with me as a bad word. She said, she's asked me before, she's like, um, is hell a bad word? And, and, and she immediately follows it up with, in school, they say it's a bad word. And I was like, well, yeah, you probably shouldn't say it in school or to strangers or whatever. I mean, if you if you find yourself saying it here in front of me, that's yeah, I don't not a big deal. But she's still for whatever reason of all the bad words that were uh uttered in this movie and Ghostbusters 2, it was always hell. Every time hell was mentioned it was like, "Oh, he said a bad word." And I'll be watching with her. And I'm paying attention. You know, because sometimes I, I just, if I've seen something enough times, I tune out and I, I look at my iPhone. Um, but I was watching, I was paying attention and she'll say, Ooh, he said a bad word. And I'll be like, and I'll be like, every time I was like, he did. And it's literally, we watched the same, we watched the same movie like three or four times. And every time it happened, she called out and every time I, I would still be like, he did? Forgetting that hell is in fact a bad word. And that's why this pod's explicit and you can go to hell. Um, so yeah, she covered her eyes. There were a couple scary parts where I was like, Hey, if you're really scared, really scared, just cover your eyes. You know, and tell you, and I'll tell you when you can pull your hands down. But she obviously was doing the little kid thing where it's like, I'm covering my eyes, but I'm also keeping the fingers just slightly apart so I can peek through them. Um, so yeah, it was the when the the arms come out of the chair that Dana Barrett, aka Sigourney Weaver, is sitting in when Zool finally takes her in to the kitchen and possesses her. That was pretty. I mean, that even to this day, I'm I get a little whoa. That is a little scary. And then uh, the dog. I mean, the I guess they call it the terror dog, right? The dogs that uh, there's two of them. There's Zool and there's Gozer, right? that eventually become the key master and the gatekeeper. Right, 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 right. So yeah, any, 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 pretty much any scenes with the terror dogs were like, and I remember that being for me when I was a kid, those were like the scariest, but she loves it. Absolutely loves it. Which is, uh, which is cool. It's cool. Cause a lot of the stuff that I loved as a kid, it's like, I don't remember a lot of that shit. 
But like Ghostbusters, that's just if you if she watched Ghostbusters and didn't like it, it's like, wow, what? Now I got to prepare for an unknown future. I don't know what the future holds if you don't like Ghostbusters. And she had never, I don't think she'd ever seen Ghostbusters 2. I was like, you know, there is a Ghostbusters 2. And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, they made a second one. It's with all, pretty much all the same people. Do you want to watch it? And she's like, yeah, but then we'll watch one again, right? And I was like, yeah, we can. Um, and Ghostbusters 2, by all credits, is toned down. Not like incredibly toned down, but it is toned down for the kiddies because in between the two, in the five years since the first one came out, they came out with the cartoon that kind of took off and was popular that I that I watched. Where like Slimer became a fan favorite with the kiddies. And so, um, you know, it has some adult themed scenes, but not like, I mean, you know, Ghostbusters one, when, uh, it's like, <laughs> you know, the scene where, uh, you know, Sigourney Weaver as Dana Barrett is, is in fact possessed by Zool and Vankman, AKA Bill Murray goes over to check on her and visit her and, uh, for the date, right. He brings the flowers um, that was a little touch and go. It was like, I want you inside me. And then, uh, I was like, Ugh. it kind of cringed and looked over at her and it's like, she's completely unfazed. She doesn't understand. Like, um, and, uh, <laughs> then, uh, Bill Murray goes, well, I think there's already two people in there. I don't know if there's enough room. There's already two people in there, which I thought was a great joke. Kind of weird though. Like, um, like he says, he says that he he shot her up with 300 cc's of thyrosine, but it's like, where did you get that? Do you just carry that around? <laughs> and I was thinking, I guess time has passed and maybe he ordered it from the pharmacy because I didn't even know that you could do that. Order stuff from the, like, this is 84. I figured you got to go, like, you wherever, you, whatever you need, you got to leave the apartment. You can't just stay in the apartment other than maybe pizza getting delivered. I didn't realize because, you know, at the one of the beginning scenes, Lewis uh, Tully, played by Rick Moranis, was like, he comes out pretending like, oh, I thought it was the pharmacy. It's just you, Dana, trying to hit on Dana. But yeah, um, so I guess he possibly ordered delivery from the pharmacy, the Thorazine. Hmm. And then uh, he gives her like a little kiss on the hand and the neck, which I guess uh, nowadays is a bit problematic but it's like i don't you know they weren't add in the fact that they weren't exactly together at that point right it was like this was their first date i think so that could be a bit much but ultimately she loved it and i i love that she loved it ghostbusters 2 though um i'm trying to teach her like i i'm i'm starting to realize that i can't explain things to her <laughs> we've talked about this before but it's getting really bad where it's like, you know, um, I'll say like, I'm proud of you. And she'll be like, and, I'll, and I don't get a reaction. And I go, do you know what that means? She's like, no. And I'm like, it's pride. You know, it's, uh, it's like a feeling you have when there's accomplishment. <laughs> I just like, uh, my brain just goes on the fritz. It's like, I know what all these words mean. But like trying to define them. To someone who doesn't, it's just not, not, I don't have the knack for it at all. It's not my forte, you know? So, uh, like I was trying to teach her about, there was a scene where it's Bill Murray, Sigourney Weaver on the bed with Oscar, the little baby, 
and uh, Bill Murray asks Sigourney Weaver, hey, Sigourney Weaver's like, I think it's time for him to go to bed. And Bill Murray's like, uh, do you mind if I put him down? And Sigourney Weaver's like, kind of surprised. She's like, sure. And then you see him <laughs> stick his finger in the baby's face and go, you're small, your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a burden on your mother. <laughs> like, he put the baby down. And, like, I laugh every time that happens. And um, I try to explain it to her because she's like, why is that funny? And I was like, well, because it's kind of a double meaning. Like, Scorny Weaver thought that Bill Murray's going to put the baby down to sleep. And instead, he put the baby down, meaning, like, he insulted the baby. And, and, and she, was, she was like, well, that's not nice. And I was like, no, 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 he's, it's a joke. He's just being silly and goofy. So like, I can only imagine a five-year-old brain trying to pick up what I'm putting down. <laughs> Cause it's, I'm just, I feel like I'm just confusing her even more. She's absolutely incredible. My daughter at attention to detail and her ability to call out seemingly illogical stuff, but also like continuity gaffes and mishaps, which I think there's a future in that in the movie industry. Where it's like script supervisor, story supervisor, something like that. Like, hey, we did this in the last scene, but now in this scene it's gone. There are plenty of times where she'd be like, hey, that guy was wearing a watch in the previous shot and is not wearing a watch now. And I'm just like, I, what? <laughs> you saw that? Like, I, okay. Like uh, Ghostbusters 2, she's like, how did that baby get on the ledge? How is that baby able to stand on its own? Like just pointing out stuff that just does not compute for her. Um, which is great. It's like better than her just like sitting there like a sponge and just like absorbing it all and not asking questions and whatnot. So it gives me hope, you know what I'm saying? But uh, my God, I could watch Ghostbusters 1 and 2 for the rest of October if that's the only movies I watch. Okay, totally fine with it, especially with her. I mean, yeah. I tried to pitch her on Ghostbusters 3 and no, not the all-female Ghostbusters. Although at what point do you break that out? You know, and how do you explain it to the kids? Uh, Ghostbusters 3, technically, right? Ghostbusters Afterlife came out in 2021, which was pretty decent, pretty good. I think it had better ratings or was more critically acclaimed than Ghostbusters 2. Let me look it up real quick. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, 64% of critics... Loved it. 94% of audience loved it. And I, I mean, a lot of that, I think, is because of the emotional resonance, the ending that came about and how it was, it was basically like a, not conflicted, but a love letter story for Harold Ramis who passed. So, um, yeah, it's more, it's better rated than Ghostbusters 2. I'll tell you that much. And like looking back on it, like I haven't watched Ghostbusters 2 in a while, but What's wild is like she, after we watched Ghostbusters 2, ever since then, she's wanted to watch Ghostbusters 2 first. And she asked for that first. And then she's like, and then we'll watch one. And I'm like, whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. Like, you're not even going to go chronological order, dude? You're going to Quentin Tarantino this shit? So uh, I kept pitching her on Ghostbusters 3. I'm like, listen, they made a third one. Not all of them are in it. But I think you might like it more because they're more kids. And she was just like, nope, Ghostbusters 2. I'm like, all right. But hopefully I'm I'm hoping to slide in Ghostbusters Afterlife because I do think it was a pretty good, a pretty good movie. You know? I mean, two, 
get catches a lot of flack for missing the mark in a, in a lot of respects. I mean, you know, I think they lean too heavily into the Bill Murray Sigourney Weaver plotline storyline. Uh, I think people were not too crazy about like, okay, there's pink slime, got it, but it's a pink slime is like a manifestation of negative emotions. I think that might have not sat well with a lot of fans. Like, uh, mm, I don't know if I'm buying this. Which is it's, it's it's a stretch, right? To not buy this, considering we bought into um, Ivan Shandor in Ghostbusters One, where it's like oh, it was a cult. They were up on a roof. Shit went sideways. So I think that might have what been what derailed the sequel. Um, I guess originally the sequel was supposed to take place in like Scotland, which is kind of crazy. Um, there were still some things from the original script that I guess Aykroyd and Ramis wrote that stayed in the movie, but you know, I, I did, I do think I want that painting <laughs> as cursed as it is. I do think I want that painting of, uh, what's his name? Vinovitovici. Oh my God. I forgot his name. Carpathian. You know what I'm talking about? So yeah, it's, it, it it's like odd that Bill Murray was like when everyone else is in the Ghostbusters get up, he's not kind of weird. That being said, I don't think it's as bad as people remember it. I mean, the Statue of Liberty scene alone is like all time moment, all time scene. And to think that I like, I get caught up on stupid shit. Like, okay, they hose her down, turn on the pop on the music. She makes her way to, to Manhattan. Uh, which is it's that's also funny because it's like the Statue of Liberty is on the New York license plate, and it's like well, those to bring New Yorkers together, New York, New York, and yet it's it's in Jersey, bro. You know, just let me hit you with that fun fact. It's in Jersey. You're welcome, New York. So, but that scene, uh, just electric, and like controlled by the 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 like. Uh, was probably the new controller for Nintendo Entertainment System. This was before Super Nintendo because I think Super Nintendo was 91, 92, if I re recall. This was in 89. So they used the Nintendo controller to control the Statue of Liberty. So cool. But like, okay, so Statue of Liberty comes. Everyone's like freaking out. Like, hell yeah, dude. Uh, she, the torch explodes and sets and sets on fire, which is awesome. Then she steps down and walks the river towards the shore. And it's like, that's just such a great sequence comes on shore. Everyone's like, what's up? She goes to the museum, smashes the glass ceiling with the torch. But then at the end of the movie, she's just like laying down. <laughs> she's like all the, like, I guess the power of the slime, the, the positive slime wore off or something. Or maybe when the, the dude was conquered, uh, is it Vito? No. Oh, that's going to bother me. I gotta look it up. That's insane that I've I've watched this movie so many freaking times now and I can't remember that dude's name. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Come on. Come on. Vigo. Viggy. Viggy, Viggy, Viggy. Vigo. Yeah. So I want that painting in my room. It will haunt my dreams, but I'm already haunted, so whatever. Can't kill what's already dead. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Ghostbusters 2, if you haven't seen it in a while, it deserves a rewatch and you can point out the, the, the points in it where you're just like, ah, missed it. Just missed it. 
you know? Because I know uh, Rick Moranis, what did he ba- did he basically like quit acting after that? <laughs> he was just like, no, fuck this noise. Uh, I don't think so. But maybe. I think it was the early 90s that he he stepped away and didn't come back. And he didn't want to come back for the Afterlife one released in 2021 because he was like, nope, looking back, Ghostbusters 2 just wasn't it, boss. Bill Murray says he didn't he didn't like how the movie turned out. But I still think there's a lot of good in there. It's not complete garbage. So, uh, yeah, if you're not down, I mean, for a little Ghostbusters, a little mini marathon, I don't know what to tell you. Because my daughter and I, that's it's just like, yeah. Put play it again. Uh, so that was Friday. On Saturday, another jam-packed day. Had a uh, one of her friends from her new class, new school, had their sixth birthday party. So my daughter is very young for kindergarten, very young for her class, the youngest, in fact. And so this kid was turning six. I don't know boo about this kid or his parents. And so that's always fun arriving. And being like, are you, I feel like I'm on friggin' Jerry Springer or Maury Povich. Like, are you the father? Are you the mother? I just didn't know. They did say no gifts, please, which was so nice. Just so nice. Like, I think I'm going to do that. I might do that. And hopefully we just set a trend. That's just like, hey, a card is good enough. Like, I got a card and I don't even think I was supposed to get a card. I ended up getting a card and I was just like, where do you... Is there a place to put the cards? And they were like, what? What are you talking about? A card? Um, it was a Spider-Man card. The kid's name is Dan. I put Spider-Dan on the card. And, the, and I got a little, huh, which is all you can ask for out of, some, out of, a, out of a parent. It was at a, the birthday party was outside. It was delayed due to rain. There was a postponement. They brought out the tarp. And it was delayed for an hour. So it started at 10 got a message on the uh, app. Like I was supposed to already be, have been, you know, departed. I was supposed to be gonzo by the time that I got this message that, uh, Oh, uh, we're going to push it back to 11. It's like, Oh boy. Thanks for the heads up. But we get to the park. The park is literally steps away from her mother's house, my ex's house. And of course that's just, you know, my daughter's just like, can we see her? Can we see her? Can we go see her? And it's like, I don't want to be this like, bad guy you know i guess i could have checked what's was it gonna hurt but uh ultimately i think i ended up distracting her she got distracted <laughs> i was like okay don't have to answer that i was you know at first i was like i don't even know if she's home you know she might be still be sleeping like you know it's just every excuse in the book just to not go see her because i don't know that it will do any good ultimately it's like you know she'll get so happy to see her for what like a minute and then you have to say goodbye again because it's not your time with her. So, ugh, God, so awful. But yeah, so I talked to a couple parents. Um, there was a dad who said he was originally from the area, from the Princeton area. Um, he actually went to the Hun School of Princeton that I went to for a semester, a cool semester. But he's younger than me, obviously, because I'm an old dad. And uh, he ended up marrying a girl he went to high school with, but they didn't hang out in high school, that kind of situation. Like I finding that more and more often, like I have another friend, the Pigros that I went to, he went to high school with his wife, but they didn't like hang out or talk at all in high school. It's kind of nuts. Like you can just, how can you go four years of high school 
never really interact or meet or bump into each other or exchange glances or anything. And then like, oh, yeah, uh, you guys are going to get hitched. What? We're not even the same classes. So uh, apparently they lived across from each other, uh, across the lake from each other and never talked. And then one summer after college, uh, I guess his friend or her friend was like, hey, so-and-so is a veil on the market for the low, low price. And then boom, marriage, three kids. Oh my God. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting, man. That's interesting. It's fucking interesting, man. But found out that my daughter doesn't like chocolate cake. She destroyed a bagel with cream cheese. And this was a big ass bagel and was a lot of cream cheese. No problem. Like less than five minutes and devoured it. They break out the cake and she wouldn't eat it. And I was like, what? Like it's, it's literally 1130 in the morning. You really shouldn't be having cake right now. And I'm offering you cake. I say no to cookies and cake in the morning. First thing all the time. And now you get to have it and you're like, nay, decline, reject. She said she doesn't like chocolate. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's a lot of that's been going on where it's like the things that she's been eating and drinking on a regular basis. She's just like, yeah, I don't like that. She's like, I just recently discovered that I'm able to say that I don't like things. Like I recently found out that I don't have to accept everything that you're giving me and I can just say I don't like it. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't like that at all because I had it figured out to, you know, I got it on lock. And all of a sudden, you just throw my world into a huge tumble. She goes, uh, I want vanilla cake. And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. Just whip that up real quick. And then, uh, show enough, so she doesn't eat that. Later on the day, when we're at the football game, Princeton versus Harvard, she ended up eating someone else's chocolate cake. Mm. And I'm like, Brie, what's, what's going on here? You didn't have the cake I offered you this morning. It was chocolate. This is chocolate. Why are you eating this one? You didn't eat that one. So she reveals that she doesn't like the chocolate cake with stuff on it. The stuff that was on the chocolate cake, M&Ms and sprinkles. Two things she friggin' loves. So riddle me this, Batman, because I don't know what the hell's going on. From there, we went to the Princeton versus Harvard football game. Princeton Tigers versus the Harvard Crimson Tide. Uh, I went the wrong way. How I went the wrong way, I don't know, because I passed by the entrance to the stadium and the parking garage multiple times a week. And I even, I've clocked it multiple times. Like, that's the, that I need to be on this road. I need to make that turn. This road, that turn. This road, that turn. And then I just went the complete wrong way. I went through, the, not just the wrong way, the worst possible wrong way. Like, I'm going to go through the most crowded, populated, traffic-riddled section. Not a lot of those sections, but this is it, and you're on it. So uh, we weren't late for the game game, but they were supposed to get all the kids because we got these tickets through the PTO from the school. And it was like, you can get discount, discounted tickets through the PTO of this school, you know, uh, and then... Other Princeton schools are also offering, their PTOs are offering this. So it's going to be a bunch of the Princeton schools all in this kind of big section. And what we're going to do is about 20 minutes prior to the game to kick off at one, we're going to have you, the kids line up, you know, on, on either side of the tunnel 
and they'll form like a line and then they welcome the players coming out of the tunnel. Pretty cool idea. Missed that. So, uh, was pretty bummed about that. I was, I was upset about that. So we take our seats. Our seats are in the second row of the Princeton. So there's one end zone says Tigers. The other end zone says Princeton. The, we're on the Princeton end zone second row. Amazing seats. Princeton, the home side's on our right. Harvard, away side on our left. Like, amazing seats. Um, but I didn't recognize anyone. I'm like, I was expecting to go this section, and it's just like overflowing with parents and kids that I've seen before that I know. You know, people waving us over. We're high-fiving. We're, you know, we're t- making plans. No, I didn't recognize anyone. And then uh, I was like, wow, this is a great view. We have great seats. I should take a picture. And then I was like, oh, forgot my phone in the car. Cool, 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 cool. And you, I know what you're saying, like, oh, just go back to the car and get it. How hard can that be? Two things. If you've ever been to the Princeton football game, the main parking garage on Stadium Drive is like a good, I want to say 10-minute walk. I could be wrong, but it feels like a 10-minute walk. It's not a very quick walk. It's not like I'm just going to run back and run back. Like that's a You're looking at a 20-minute investment. And it's like I don't want to miss the start of the game. I'll just go to halftime, I guess. But I was, I was legitimately stewing about that for so long. And then I also uh, remembered that on the ticket itself, it says no re-entry. I'm like, ah. so if I, like if I just forgot something, like I can't. You know, if there's a thing, I can't just, no. So I was like, well, I guess I can't even go out at halftime because then how am I going to get back in the game? So it's just like this momentous occasion, my daughter's first ever football game ever. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this day for five years, legitimately. <laughs> like, I can't wait to take my kid to all the games and all the sports, even though she probably does not like sports at all. And I left the fucking phone in the car. I, I, it took me an entire quarter of football, quarter and a half of football to get over it, to be like, well, you know, if this were the eighties, you know, I, my first Princeton sporting event, uh, my dad didn't have a phone. So like, let's just, we can get through this. We can get through this. Let's just make memories where we don't need photos and pictures. Let's just make some memories. So, uh, yeah, we ended up finding some other, some other, uh, two other parents, from the school um and uh one of the parents ended up taking a photo of, of Brie and, and their kid my daughter and their kid and, and sent it to me so that was very nice so that was the only photo i have from, from that day at that game um and i conference i comp i overcompensated for it later for sure which we'll get to but the kids paid zero attention to the game shocker i know no attention Bree, my daughter didn't even look at the field, like turned her back on the field and was basically just entertaining the her friend's dad and the other friend's mom for like the entire quarter and a half. Just like, check this shit out, you know? So, yeah, I, they were just not having it. And she wasn't the only one. I mean, the other kids too, like the one kid, uh, sensitive to sound and loud noises and there was a couple times where i remember the first time there was a big play i was like yeah all right like cheering and clap my hands and look over and the kids like got his hands over his ears and i'm like oh so from that point on i'm like fake clapping 
where it looks like I'm clapping and not making any noise. And then, uh, yeah, that kid was just like, nope, I can't handle it down here. And eventually went up to the very tippity top of the stadium. And I was like, it's kind of a, that's not a bad move. You know, if you're looking, if you're into that kind of thing where you get to see plays develop, right? Right. Maybe this is an OC in waiting. Uh, <laughs> so the kids were just, uh, yeah, not having it. So we, we ended up, uh, me and the, the, one of the kids' mothers ended up going out to the main corridor, you know, uh, promenade, esplanade. I don't even know what you call that where there was a bouncy house, balloon animals, and face painting. I was like, all right, Princeton University, you're pretty smart. You know what you're doing. You got plenty of family stuff going on here. I love it. Bouncy house, the kids turned down. They were going for the bouncy house, and then they saw the balloon animal guy, and they were like, oh, yeah, balloon animals. And uh, lo and behold, the balloon animal guy was the longest line. Like It was between that and the face painting. The face painting was a long line, too. And so the balloon animal, we waited in that line for this guy to make a balloon animal. Take a guess, dude. Just take a guess. 90 minutes. An hour and a half. We, we waited in this line for a balloon animal. And the kids did not complain once. Now, when we were watching the football game, it was, this is boring. I want to go somewhere else. I want to do Like, couldn't sit still, couldn't do anything. We stood in a line. For a balloon animal for 90 minutes, not a peep. Are you kidding me, dude? Are you kidding me? That's criminally insane. I don't get it. So I missed a large chunk of the game. <laughs> uh, what was also concerning was I kept asking my daughter if she had to go potty. And I had to, I kept asking her. If, I mean, it's literally the only questions I asked her. Do you have to go potty? Are you hungry? Do you have to go potty? Are you hungry? So I asked her, are you hungry a bunch of times? No, 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 no. And then every time this mother pulled out food, be it pizza, popcorn, cake, Bree's like, can I have some? Can I have some? And I'm looking at the mom. I'm like, I swear to God, I feed this child. I swear to God, this child of mine, I do feed. So uh, I just was apologizing. I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. I keep asking her if she's hungry. She says no. And then she's bogarting your stuff. I'm sorry. She's bogarting your stuff. She's like, no, no, you know, someone's got to eat it. And I was just like, oh, too nice, too nice. I feel for this, for the family too, because it's the mother, the father, two kids, two boys that uh, were moved into a, like a luxury apartment. And uh, again, there has to be some kind of legal legal re repercussion or consequence for using the word luxury when shit's not luxury. They moved into a luxury apartment. It was infested with cockroaches. That ain't luxury. So they immediately moved out, canceled their uh, their lease, moved in with their parents, which uh, who live in the area, I guess, and uh, are like they want out. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess they've been there. They um, they must have been there for almost two months now, and they want out. Uh, which is understandable, you know, especially if you're tight on space. You know, I think um, my mom, I mean, we lived with both grandparents at one point, one point or another. We lived with my, my maternal grandparents in Seagirt, right on the beach. Oh, that was so sweet. Uh, for a year-ish, a little less than a year. And then we lived uh, with my paternal grandparents in Cranston, Rhode Island for about a year, less than a year. So yeah, you know, 
I think uh, it can be tough. And they, she basically was like, yeah, the housing market's uh, uh, outrageous. And I was like, I hear you. Rentals are not much better. She's like, we're at the point now where the first thing that comes in the market in our price range, we're just going to take no matter how shitty it is. It's just like, ah, America. It's the American dream. Again, I'm not an economist, but it's like, hey, let's just lower the price on everything. See what happens. Maybe shit will get sold and people will make money, just not as much. No? Okay, cool. I mean, yeah, whatever. So uh, eventually, Brie caved in. My daughter caved in when I asked her if she wanted food. I think it was halftime. Might have been the beginning of the third quarter. She's And she was. She initially said no. Then she's like, yes. So we go, wait, wait in line. We'll get another long line for the food concession place. I end up getting a chicken sandwich, Doritos, a canned water, and a big soft pretzel. And uh, she, of course, had the Doritos and the big soft pretzel. I had the chicken sandwich. One of the worst chicken sandwiches I've ever had. So dry. I don't know what I was expecting. But I think it was because there was just no sauce and I should have just put sauce on it. But I couldn't I, I couldn't locate the sauce or my mind was in such my mind was in such a pretzel because it's the first time I'm at this concession stand and I don't know how things are operating. That I didn't even think to look to see if they had sauce or anything like that. So that's on me. That's not on the chicken sandwich or the people who made it. I need to find the sauce wherever it be and just smother that shit. She housed the Doritos. Of course she had maybe a couple of bites of the big soft pretzel. I mean, the big soft pretzel is one of the, that was a thing that like as a kid, when I was her age and going to giants games, like I, that was what I looked forward the most after the game was going home. And these dudes have like the, just the racks on racks on racks of soft pretzels in the dirtiest of grocery carts where are you getting that cart where's that coming from there's no grocery store around here did you bring that and so scarfing those down uh lord knows what kind of tetanus i got but yeah that uh, it's such a i love big soft pretzels this one didn't necessarily hit the spot and i don't know if it's i have a more discerning palate probably not but i was like Hot take. I think soft pret big soft pretzels, uh, only people only crave them and like them and love them because of the big ass salt you got on them. You ever get like a and I was like, no, 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 that's not right. It's just I think this one particular soft pretzel wasn't fresh. Like when you get a big soft pretzel that is fresh and you can pull it apart and it's still like sticking together, you know, you don't have to like break it off with a hammer. Th that's the shit. But I don't think I got that one. So but it held me over. I mean, I, you know, I hadn't had anything to eat until that time. And so it was like two, what, three o'clock when I had that in my system. So I was like, I'm just glad to have sustenance. I'm just glad to be alive. And then it's, uh, you know, the, the game kind of is like getting interesting. You know, I think Princeton was up 14, nothing. And then uh, pretty much dominating almost every stat line, every category, except first downs. And but only up 14 nothing, and then they had a turnover or something like that, a fumble or a pick. And so Harvard scores and scores again, so it's 14 all. And it's getting interesting. And Bree's like, and my daughter's like, I'm bored. I'm bored. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like, this is a pretty incredible game. First of all, I don't think you understand the rivalry, huge rivalry. You see all these people, they're all wearing pins. Well, those pins say beat Harvard. 
Um, so she was just like, I, I want to go when I want to get out of here. Um, so we went potty and then, uh, I'm like, uh, um, she, she kept asking, there was like this huge stone sculpture right by our section. And I forget what it says on it, but it says like something pavilion, like big, it just like, it looks like a nice thing that, you know, I don't want to ruin, you know? So I was like, uh, you know, I don't want to ruin this thing. And I think maybe there's like a, you know how every university has little intricacies and, and like, uh, uh, legacies or legends where it's like, oh, we don't stay. Whoa, 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 dude. You were about to walk on the seal. You can't walk on the seal. This seal, the shield, you can't walk on that. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, sir. Okay. Why? What happens? Uh, well, fucking, I don't know, ghosts. Um, so I felt that this was part of that situation where it's like, we're at a university. It's hundreds of years old. <laughs> this probably is not supposed to be touched or played on. And, uh, so she wanted to play on that and I was like, no. And then of course, every other kid in the goddamn stadium is on it and playing on it. And so she's like, well, they're playing on it. And I'm like, I can't control them. And my luck will be that you climb on it and then we get arrested for defamation or desecration or some bullshit. And so she threw a little bit of a hissy fit and I was like, well, you have two options, go home or stay and watch the football game. She's like, I don't want to do either of those things. And I'm just like, all right, well, here we are. <laughs> I mean, I guess there is a third option. It's just standing here. I'm like, there's nothing really else to do. And she's like, we can climb on that friggin' rock. So eventually she came back down to the section and we we watched another game and it turned and I think she started to get into it because it was it had an amazing climax, you know. Um it was a great ending, you know. 14-14. Princeton scores in the uh, very last minute, Harvard gets the ball. And of course, like anytime Harvard got the ball, crowd starts to pick up and, you know, the chance of defense, there's uh, a lot of yelling and loud noises and like people, uh, you know, uh, I was like banging the, the, the metal bench cause they had metal benches, which was great for the back. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm stomping on the metal bench, metal benches as is most of the section. So I think she got really super into that. That was probably her favorite part. Other than her other favorite parts or more favorite parts were the commercial breaks where it's like TV timeout. And then they just start playing music over the speakers. And she's just like, was super into that. So, um, so leaving the game, I was like, all right, <sighs> hopefully we made some memories. I don't know if she'll be. I don't know if she'll retain any of these memories. So, what's the next best thing if you don't have photos? If you don't have your phone to take the photos, souvenirs, score. And so we passed by the store, and she ran up, and she's like, "I want this. Can I have the shirt?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, you can have this shirt. Something to remember this game by." And then uh, she took that as like, "Oh, the floodgates have opened." Once I said yes, the floodgates have opened and she was just grabbing everything. She's like, can I have this and this and this and this? And I'm just like, you know what? The more the merrier. <laughs> the more freaking souvenirs you pull from this goddamn store, hopefully you can remember this. So a tiger tail, which I don't know how to put it on. So that's unfortunate. A stuffed tiger holding a football. A Nerf-like football. It's black and orange. Uh, the shirt, a Princeton tin. Why I got her a pin? <laughs> you got me. 
Um, so yeah, 75 bucks. <laughs> you know, the tickets were like, I think maybe 25 each, maybe less than that. And I spent $75 on souvenirs. So, and then once I got home, I was like, I, I made sure to take a picture with all the souvenirs. I'm like, I'm going to double down on this. Like, so that in the future you can see, Hey, we went to the game and I did get these things. This is proof. Um, it did take us so long to get home though. Oh my God. Trying to leave that parking garage and that stadium. It's like usually what? 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Took like half an hour to 40 minutes. Yikes. Um, so yeah, that was the Princeton Harbor game. Sunday, my my mother's like uh my sister are very artsy craftsy, arts and craftsy, very artistic and into making stuff. So they were like, uh my mom sent me an idea for making spider donuts, where it's essentially just get like glazed donuts, some icing, and munchkins from Duncan. You put the munchkin in the donut and then you cover it with cover, you know, make the legs. With icing, and then she also got us eyes, edible eyes. And you stick that on the munchkin, and you got yourself a spider donut. So I went, woke up, I mean, I guess not that early, but early early for me <laughs> on a Sunday. Went to Dunkin' Donuts, got the three glazed donuts, got the three munchkins to make the spider donuts, even though I literally saw the spider donuts at Dunkin'. Like, they had them already made. And I was like, I could just buy those and save myself some time, but that's not the point. The point is to do the thing, to make, to do the activity. It's a bonding experience and blah, blah, blah. So we ended up making them and, uh, uh, no, no, they don't look, <laughs> they don't look too much like spiders or at least the spiders, spider donuts, uh, that my mom, the picture my mom sent me. So she ate one and she loved it. I mean, she was, she ate most of the icing. You know, she was just like, can I have some icing? And again, it was like, yeah. And then it was just like floodgates open. And she just like just pounding icing. <laughs> and so she ate the spider donut. But then I was like, for the next day, I was like, hey, you can take, I got three. Uh, you know, I can, I had one, right? And we have one left. I'm going to pack that in your lunch or you can have it for breakfast tomorrow. She's like, nope. I'm just like, hmm, what is going on here? Very peculiar. So we were a little, uh, we went to Terhunes, T-E-R-H-U-N-E, Terhunes -E, -E, Orchard. They, every weekend in uh, late September into October through October to Hall through Halloween, every weekend they have like a festival, carnival type place where there's live music and they have a bunch of shit. So we decided to go there to get pumpkins, most importantly of all, because I've I've turned her down, turned her away from getting pumpkins at the Trader Joe's down the street because I was like, no, 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 no. Half the fun of getting a pumpkin is like, you know, picking it out at a patch. Like you can't just like go in a bin at the grocery store and pick one out. No, you got to go to a patch to a farm to orchard. And so uh, we ended up doing that. Um, I don't think I've ever been there before. I think about it, but I don't know what's wrong. I mean, I guess I do know what's wrong with me, but I pull in to this place and there's two people in neon vests and they're directing traffic. And I pull up and I'm, th and I'm expecting this woman to give me some kind of direction. Like, hey, this away, that away. And she points behind me into the left, almost like, hey, get out of here. And I'm like, what, what, what did I, do I have like a weird bumper sticker? What's going on here? Um, and I'm like, huh? And then she gave me a a lot of a nasty look. 
that just went straight through straight through me and uh some pretty serious attitude some bad attitude and then pointed to the right and i was just like oh, you already got me in a bad mood uh, like i already know you know i bought a ticket for what 11 o'clock we got there at like 11 15 11 20 and i'm like hopefully we can get all this done and wrapped up in time for the giants game at one ambitious yes can it be done we'll see um so i was already in a foul mood and uh but i noticed they had a scavenger hunt and i was like oh nice sweet so we did the scavenger hunt we started the scavenger hunt and then we took some breaks in between but um so the scavenger hunt it's like a picture of the farm right the orchards like a map and it has eight slots or blank spaces almost like in the game hangman and you get to find the letters and you fill in and each space corresponds to a number the numbers are on the map you go to that number you can find out the letter right so uh i was i was that was i was not expecting that and i was like all right fuck yeah this is gonna be great so the first letter is by the pedal tractor track so we head in that direction and i'm looking around looking around i don't see boo i don't see anything i'm like uh hmm this scavenger hunt a little more complicated than i would have expected you know, with little kids running around like, is this an adults-only type scavenger hunt? What's going on? This is pretty sophisticated. And I'm looking at the pedal tractor track, and I'm like, wait a second. Wait a tick. This track is an oval. It's shaped like an O. Oh, okay. All right. I see what's going on here. You guys are clever. So, you like, maybe you have a corn maze in the shape of an H. And like, da 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 um, no. The signs were pretty visible, <laughs> like not at all that hidden. And yet we still had trouble finding two of them. There were eight in total, but it was like we ended up finding, I was like, well, I guess this is, oh, we'll go to number two. And then I go to number two and it's like, uh, there's a sign with the number two and the letter, very clear, very obvious. And I'm like, ah, okay. And then I immediately spot number one and then couldn't find number four. And I was like, hey, Neil. I don't know. You ever thought about picking your head up, not looking at the ground when you walk? Raise your eyes above, you know, waist level. <laughs> so I eventually found the four. It was right by the chicken coop, which had the coolest looking chickens. Like they almost looked like zebras, like striped black and white. There were some goats. There was a donkey. And of course, I let Bree pet them and didn't wash her hands. So um, probably in line for some kind of mouth to hoof to nose to whatever disease that Noah Syndergaard got <laughs> whatever the hell that was good hoof to mouth disease whatever she probably got that no big deal better to get it now build an immunity and then when you're adult fit as a fiddle um she went on the uh they, they had like a bouncy ball type station um and there were rubber ducky races. So it's like these long ass pipes, right? It kind of goes down and then th there's a little bend at the end. It comes back and it's, you know, there's water and you got a pump, a water pump. And I'm like looking around, I'm seeing all these people with like little rubber duckies. And I'm like, and I'm looking in the, like the, uh, the water trough, whatever. Like, uh, where are these rubber duckies at? And I see, look over the right and there's a barrel with a, an employee or a worker from the orchards there 
I'm like, ah, all right. So I go over and of course it's like rubber ducky, $1. And I'm like, eh, you just had to charge a dollar, right? You couldn't just give that up. So I pay the dollar and, uh, I go back to my daughter and I'm like, oh, here's the rubber ducky or here's, you know, the, the rubber toy that you can use. And she was like, oh, and so she does it once. And then she picks it out and she's like, I don't want this one. And I'm like, oh, but we just, we already did the thing where it got wet. And like, I'm going to go back and the guy's going to be like, oh, sales are final. So we go back and no, the guy was totally cool. He was like, yeah, you can exchange it. No problem. <laughs> uh, overthinking things is fun. Fearing the worst is the best. There was a, they had a station where you could make bubbles, like big ass bubbles, like buckets. So they had buckets filled with like, you know, the bubble concoction formula, the soap and whatnots. And then these two big sticks that have like soft kind of ropes, almost like uh, bungee cords, almost. And then you're supposed to dip the rods with the thing into the bucket gently pull it out and then gently pull them apart and then the wind will do do the rest and blow the bubble out and there were some big ass bubbles coming out of there and so every bucket was occupied and uh you know it was fun watching and my daughter was just like wouldn't even let the bubble out of the mechanism out of the the two rods and the in the ropes was hadn't even left the station and she's popping them. And I'm like, yeah, all right, all right. And I'm grabbing her by the hoodie. I'm like, all right, come on. And I'm like the hold back coach. Like, all right, you need to you need to come back a little bit. Let the bubbles breathe. Let the bubble fly for a little bit before you pop them. There was a, I believe there was a special kid there. I don't know about autistic, um, but he was uh super pumped about the whole situation, which was it's always fun to see that. Like a uh, kid just enjoying the fuck out of life some simple pleasures and uh and then brie got a chance she got a shot at making the bubbles and i gotta give her credit i think a lot of five-year-olds would be like this is bullshit like you know it doesn't work on the first try it doesn't work on the second try i'm out and she stuck with it and i think by the fourth fifth try she's like getting almost got a big ass bubble out so kudos to her then we made our way to the these two little sheds and this is, again, just like waiting in line for an hour and a half for a balloon animal when you're at a football game and you can't watch the football game because you think the football game is boring, but you'll stay 90 minutes in line for a balloon animal. There were these two little sheds. One was like set up to be a mimic or be a replica of the, the store that a lot of the adults go in and buy like all their various goods and produce and whatnot. And then the other shed is basically like a mechanics shop, car shop. And she played in there forever. And most kids did. But most parents were like, hey, there's, we're on a time, like, there's a time limit to this ticket, by the way. It's three hours. And so a lot of the parents are like, hey, there's a lot more cooler stuff, like, everywhere other than this. Like, get out of there. And the kids were just refusing. Um, but I was like, you know what? If she's having fun, she's enjoying herself. I, what, you know, just let her have, have at it. Uh, there was a husband and wife um, talking. I overheard their conversation. They were talking about the weather. They were like, yeah, it was still raining in Brooklyn this morning. And I was like, hold up. Did y'all come from Brooklyn to Prince, to like Mercer County, Lawrence Township, to this orchard? 
They ain't got no orchards in Brooklyn. <laughs> if anything closer. And uh, that's probably not the case, Neil. But God damn it, ran through my mind. And I was like, oh, who comes all the way from Brooklyn to this Lawrence, the farm in Lawrence? <laughs> it's like, and I started thinking, well, maybe they just like stayed, they visited friends, they stayed over and now they're coming back home. Definitely put entirely too much thought into that. And then I saw the husband, the husband had like a, he's kind of a jack dude, but he had a Macklemore haircut. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this guy. And then he definitely whispered something to his wife that I couldn't hear, but it was probably about me. Narcissist much? We wanted to play tic-tac-toe. I finally got her out of the shed, the she shed. And, I, and we went to play tic-tac-toe with these like wooden pieces that they cut up. You know, some were shaped like uh, circles and those were shaped like X's. And uh, my daughter does not play right. She loves games, but she plays by her own rules. Probably a good thing. You know, if I'm thinking about it, it's like, would you rather have her just be, oh, obey, obey, and just be a sheep? Or can she just like invent her own shit and like dominate and become an entrepreneur, billionaire, playgirl, philanthropist, playgirl? So I, I kind of, I was like, again, this is something that can be found anywhere. We're at a friggin' farm. There are animals everywhere. I'm like, can we... This has been great, but you're not playing correctly and you're not listening to how to play correctly, which is all right. It's fine. I guess it's fine. You're having fun. But like there's other cool stuff we can do. Like a pony ride. So it uh, wasn't a, that long a line. The line went fairly quickly. They had three ponies. And so we get up to our time and I, I'm seeing like everyone that's going before us. It's like a kid and a parent, kid and a parent. The kid gets on the horse, the parent can walk next to them, or uh, can hang back, I think, and there's like videos being taken, a lot of photos being taken, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is uh, this is good, because we went to the, the previous pony ride that she did, like I didn't have to walk next to her, I just could hang back and take a video and, you know, preserve the memory. This one, they're like, how old is she? Five. And they're like, okay, you're going to have to wait for that horse. And you're going to have to walk next to that horse. And I'm like, uh, okay. Couldn't, and the, the, it was all angsty teens. <laughs> it was just all angsty teens pissed beyond belief that they have to be awake, one. And two, like doing this uh, repetitive mundane job over and over again. And I get it. I was a teen believe it or not. So I get it. I get the attitude. I get the behavior, but it still can rub you the wrong way. And of course, this angsty team was extra angsty and uh, was just like, didn't even like no smile whatsoever. And just like, uh, you know, the other team points to her and is like, that's the horse. And the the other team just like kind of gives me like rolls her eye, gives me a look and then just like gives me a nod, like come over here doesn't speak or say anything just like gives me the head nod like hey get over get your fat ass over here <laughs> i was just like uh okay and then i was like walking next to her and i was trying to take a video as i walked in her and she's like you're gonna want to have to you're gonna have to hold on to her legs you're gonna have to hold on to her waist like you're gonna have to hold on. i'm like uh okay so no video then and then we just walked around and uh you know it's just one lap which you know i mean you know 10 bucks you couldn't give me two laps come on 10 bucks, I can't get two laps. Uh, 
That's a racket, by the way. Pony rides, 10 bucks, and it lasts fucking two minutes. I need to get into that biz. So she, you know, we get to the end. She's like, yeah, yeah, do you want a picture? And I was like, yes, yes, I would like a picture. And I was ex- totally expecting her to take the worst pictures, and they weren't so bad. But goddamn. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, I know I sound like such a fucking old doucher, boomer, but like, they all had the AirPods in. (laughs) It's just like, and I guess, yeah, it's like, do you want to listen to parents and kids all day? Or do you want to listen to some friggin' Bad Bunny and Sexy Red and Spice Ice, Ice Spice? I don't, I don't know. Megan the Stallion. That's the one. Megan the Stallion at the pony rides. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, so we ended up completing the scavenger hunt. And uh they said it once you complete it, you can go get go here to get your prize, go over there, and it's like you get a free apple. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So Bri I let my daughter pick. I was like, whatever apple you want, you pick it out. And she picked the largest apple in the whole bunch. Even the the cashier was like, whoa, <laughs> like you're going to, ooh. And then, of course, Bri, uh, my daughter saw like the bag and I was like, she's like, what's this? And I was like, those are cider donuts. They are the bee's knees. They are, they are the tits, the balls and everything in between. And so she's like, oh, can I get, can I get it? I was like, yeah, sure. Get those. And then we have to go and pick up the pumpkins before we vamos. And so uh, when I buy the ticket, I got the pumpkin package, meaning that the price of the pumpkin is included up to five pounds. Keep that in your back pocket. And I was like, I don't even know how to look at these pumpkins and determine weight. I'm just going to take a guess. And we ended up take, picking two very large pumpkins and taking it to the checkout and uh, having to pay another fucking like 30, 40 bucks because <laughs> they were so overweight that five pound limit, but I did get two small pumpkins for free. Cause I got the two small pumpkins coupons and, uh, somehow we make it to the car carrying this stuff. And, uh, as we're leaving, who do we run into the neon vest crew? And now it's like, I'm, I'm not, I, you know, pull out and I pull to where they are. Cause I think figure, I guess they're going to direct me. Cause I don't know if there's an exit the other way, run into that same woman from before. Who's just like making this motion, like a U-turn motion. I'm like, all right, okay. And so I go right. And then the other vest, the dude, the neon vest dude, kind of like steps in, is like in front of the, he's blocking my path. And so I roll down my window. I'm like, hey, how do I exit? And so he points to his right, my left. And so I turn the wheel left to go that way. And, but he doesn't move. So he's just standing in front of my car. And I'm like, how do I egg? Like if I say it louder, but I not say it loud enough. He's like, you can go that way. And I'm like, okay, but why, why did you point that way? Ah. So I left in a sour mood. <laughs> I arrived, got in a sour mood, left in a sour mood. Those neon vest fuckers just keep <laughs> getting under my skin. So, uh, yeah, came home and uh tried to catch up on the giants game while doing the haunted house cookie kit now my history with these cookie kits not good not great actually pretty disastrous it's been disaster after disaster for a long time this one pretty flawless very proud of it 
I'm gonna post that pretty soon. See how many I'm, I'm, I'm definitely gonna get a like. But my daughter ate so much icing. My goodness, it was. I don't even know how she stayed sane. Like I, I would think that much icing would drive anyone up a wall and uh, off the planet. Um, she was like, again, she was like, "Can I have some icing?" I was like, "Yeah," and she was just like, "Oh boy." You done fucked up because I'm going to get crunk on this icing right here. So uh, we didn't get the car of the pumpkins, which sucks, but I did have some pumpkins. 8.6% ABV, which I spilled half a bottle of that on me today. So if you can smell it through the airwaves and the whatnots, apologies. But just trying to, you know, just trying to get shit done. So that's life. Let's talk about the Giants versus Commanders. Daniel Jones inactive yet again. Cornerback Adoree Jackson, out. Andrew Thomas, out. Evan Neal, out. Matt Parrott, out. John Michael Schmitz, out. Jordan Riley, out. So yeah, offense really banged up. Um, And uh, I don't know that the confidence level was crazy high. I think it was, I mean, I'll say this. A lot of people penciled this in as a win. And I was like, whoa, not so fast, because the commanders are kind of like a wild card. You know? It's like, okay, they get blown up with the Bills. Like we mentioned last week, they get blown up with the Bills, but then they take the Eagles into overtime and almost beat them in Philadelphia. Which commanders team are we going to get? And we got a pretty awful commanders team. Uh, so I'm going to start with the defense. The 14 points, a lot of uh, 14 points were the fewest the Giants have scored in a victory since they defeated Philadelphia 13 7 on November 8th, 2021. Um, 11 of Dable's 2012 victories were all one score games decided by eight or fewer points. Giants are 7 and 1 under Dable when holding their opponents to less than 20 points. The only loss was in Buffalo. So some are saying that should have been a win. I agree. It should have been a win. If it's a win, then we're now three and four. God dang. Um, But the defense, the Giants haven't allowed a first-half touchdown the last two weeks against two teams that average over 20 points a game. So the defense is on the up and up. This is probably the best game the defense has played this year and in a very, very long time. And that's coming off a game where I basically said the same thing. So the defense is, like, clicking. Now, seeing that Buffalo lost to New England, yikes. Maybe Buffalo is not as good as we thought they were. So it's it kind of takes away from that performance. But still, I think it's, you know, you know they're putting up like really great numbers um, back-to-back weeks. And uh, so that's, that's encouraging, at least. Uh, we let it halftime 14-0 one week after we held. We let at the end of the second quarter... In Buffalo, 6-0. It was the first time the Giants held their opponents scoreless in the first half of consecutive games since 2005. October 30th, November 6th. Whoa, same week. When we led Washington, 19-0 and San Francisco, 10-0. Commanders converted just one of 15 third down opportunities. Um, And that's the first time the Giants opponent succeeded just once since Washington. There's a bunch of those stats like this. Like this is the first time the last time this happened was against Washington. <laughs> it's like yeah, we might have the number. We might always count on that. Uh for the third time in the last 4 weeks the Giants held their opponents to under 300 yards of total offense. So 
you know, um, obviously the Miami game got out of hand, but Seattle was a pretty decent effort from the, I know it was 24 threes, the final score, but seven of those points isn't on the defense. And they also, uh, the offense, I think it was after the Daniel Jones fumble, you know, the Seattle was set up in like, on like the 10. So it's like take another seven away, I would think. So that's 10 points, you know, 14 points. Yeah. You know, uh, three of the past four weeks. Yeah. We're looking pretty good on defensively. The Washington's 273 total yards were the second fewest allowed by the Giants this season with Dallas, the season opener, gaining only 265, which, yeah, they didn't really have to do much because our offense and special team was just hand-delivering points to Dallas. Just like, hey, welcome to the 2023 season. Welcome to uh, MetLife. Would you like some points? Commander's 76 rushing yards were the fewest allowed by the Giants' defense in a regular season game under Dable and Wink Martindale. Uh, the previous low was 83 yards. Christmas Eve in Minnesota. And then the Vikings also rushed for 61 yards in the wild card game. Washington's 14 first downs were the second fewest by a Giants opponent in 2023 when uh, Seattle had 13 on October 2nd. Another game we probably should have won. God damn, we could be 4-3 and three right now, huh? Seattle, winnable game. I know the final score doesn't say it, but Buffalo a winnable game. Giants had five sacks. Entering Sunday was the lowest in the league, the fewest in the league, and they recorded six sacks. Five in the first half, tying their highest total under Dable. They had six in a win against the Bears last October when they were also wearing the Legacy uniform. I'm seeing a lot of people wanting to go back to Legacy uniforms, and I, it's hard to argue. You know, a lot of times people throw out Uniforms like, oh, this is fresh, this is clean, this looks the drip and da 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 swag. And I'm like, yeah, but we legitimately suck. Like our records are awful in the red jerseys. We've never won in the red jerseys. In the color rush, like we've never won in the color rush. Like maybe let's just pause on that. But um the home legacy uniforms, we we typically win in. So I'm I'm let's yeah, bring them back. Uh, the only team that has allowed more sacks than the Giants are the Commanders. So, or were the Commanders. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's nice, for sure nice, that the defense uh, has awakened and has put on, put on a performance and the pass rush appears to be back. But it is against Washington, who uh, has, a, I guess, a worse offensive line than us somehow. I don't know how that's possible. Dexter Lawrence, Sexy Dexy, tied his career high with two sacks for losses. Totaling 17 and a half yards. He had one solo and two half sacks. Um, he also had two sacks against the Bears last season. Dexter Lawrence generated team high eight pressures against the Commanders, his most pressures in a game since week 10 of 2022. And Lawrence was double teamed at his lowest rate this season and only 40.5%, which that's a bit of an oversight on Washington's part. <laughs> Four of eight pressures came against center Nick Gates on 29 matchups. Yeah, Nick Gates didn't look great. Um, so maybe we are better off without him. Although I still think I would want him on the team considering our, our woes along the offensive front. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau had a one and a half sacks to increase his total to five and a half. He finished last year with four. So he's already surpassed that he's on pace for like what? 13. And I know there are a lot of people, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau diehard supporters that are basking in the glory and uh, dancing on the graves of everyone that called Thibodeau a bust. I don't know that I called Thibodeau a bust, but I did say he was trending towards a bust. 
I mean, I think everyone could agree with that. Looking at his stat lines for the first three or four games, like, where are you, dude? What are you doing? Um, so yeah, he's coming around. And if, and if we can get that for the rest of the season, we'll be in very good shape. Um, that being said, dude, catch the ball. <laughs> oh my God. He couldn't get an easier pick six than that. And he dropped it. Um, sort of reminiscent of LT's, what would have been LT's picks or LT did have the pick six, but if Kayvon catches that and returns it, it definitely feels it's kind of in the same vein as LT's pick six against the Niners when Jim Burt knocked out Joe Montana in the playoffs. When we absolutely shellacked the Niners 49-3 in the 86 divisional playoff. What a moment that would have been for KT. You know, kind of bittersweet. And it's like, got to make those plays if you expect to beat teams other than the Commanders. (laughs) Leonard Williams picked up his first full sack of the season. Uh, He had a half sack against the Niners on September 21st. Yeah, I don't know that I'm still completely sold on Leo. You know, I I feel like I still need a little bit more from him, but this is a good start. Step in the right direction. Then Bobby O, Bobby Okereke tied a season high with 11 tackles, 7 solo. Led the Giants for the fourth consecutive game. According to Next Gen Stats, he recorded... He's recorded 15 quarter or he recorded 15 quarterback rushes against the commanders and picked up a pressure on four of them with his 26.7% quarterback pressure rate led the team. Made his presence felt in the run game with eight tackles on 19 total run defense snaps. No other giant had more than four run tackles. So continuing to earn that contract. What a turnaround it's been for Bobby Okereke. Maybe it really is just a case of. You know, just getting used to the system, getting familiar with not only the scheme, the plays, the calls, but your teammates. And I think him and uh, Micah McFadden, a good one-two punch. Micah McFadden, 89.8 PFF grade versus Commanders, which is first among all linebackers in Week 7. And, uh, you know, (laughs) PFF questionable at best. But, um, my God, I think we found our interior linebacker core all this time we'd been searching guys right under our nose. So, yeah, I, I mean, if the defense can play, I, you know, it's, I, I'm a broken record at this point. Very, very encouraging. And this defense is going to carry us. It has to carry us because the offense can't. So if we're going to win ball games, the defense has to play on this level, which uh, is it tenable, you know, I think if you can keep guys healthy, yeah, for sure. Um, I think if you were to put us up against Miami again, are we going to give up as many points? Oof. Can we play at MetLife this time? (laughs) I just, you know. And then, you know, Miami goes out to Philadelphia and loses by two scores. So, But it did look like it was going to be more of a ball game towards the, the, was it the third quarter? Where they came within a score. They got that pick six. Yeah, but yeah, defense looking strong. Down to get the friction on. Wink, uh, pulling some wizardry out of his hat, some sorcery, and uh, again, it is the Commanders. The Bills have been struggling. The Seahawks were banged up, so you you could make you hey hey you could make the argument 
that the Giants defense hasn't turned a corner and that we've just been playing some favorable offenses. That being said, I mean, we'll get to the remaining schedule in a bit, but it's a couple favorable matchups coming up down the pike. So let's uh, turn our attention to the offense. The Giants were outscored in the second half, 7-0. This was their first victory in a game in which they did not score after halftime since September 2008. I believe that was the season over. When they won 16-7 against the the then Redskins in a home game, I believe was that the game that Brandon Jacobs truck-sticked Leron Landry, I believe so. That was like coming off the Super Bowl win. Yeah, possibly. Giants have not scored a second half point in three home games. <laughs> oh boy. Here we are. So worried and concerned about the first half production and scoring output and whatnot. And uh turns out, yeah, second half, not much better. <laughs> we gotta just score more points. And you know, we were on we were en route to put the game out of hand and to score in the second half before Barkley fumbled, which uh, rare occurrence. Tyrod Taylor completed completed 18 to 29 for 279, two touchdowns, one to Waller, uh, a really sweet pass up the seam on third down, which I think uh, a really sweet pass up the seam that was reminiscent of, you know, some are saying Eli to like a Larry Donnell up the seam. I'm thinking more of a Phil Sims to Mark Bavaro type situation. Uh, regardless, a third down. Um, that we probably shouldn't have had. Thanks, game, R- Riverboat Ron, for accepting the penalty. But a uh, beautiful pass. Like, didn't have to thread the needle too much, but still, it was it was nice to see. Um, and then uh, his second touchdown pass is Saquon Barkley. Stepped up, evaded the rush. Good ball. Like, you know, that that's a, that's a case where you're on the run and you could very easily not, throw that ball accurately, and yet he did, and uh, Saquon did the rest. No interceptions yet again. Um, He has not thrown an interception in 80 attempts, making him one of nine quarterbacks who did not throw a pick in their first 80 passes of the season. Pass rating 116.9. He was sacked four times, although it didn't necessarily feel like it's a different vibe, different feeling. It didn't feel like a four-sack game. (laughs) I don't know. Um Again, he 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 makes it look like he's getting pressured, but he doesn't look pressured. I don't know. He's just a smooth dude. I keep saying it, but he's also the first black quarterback to start and win a game in New York Giants franchise history. So congratulations to Tyrod Taylor for making history. And uh, he looks good in those threads, man. He looks good playing. Back to the like uh, similar performance as what he was putting up with Buffalo when they went to the playoffs. So it's just nice to have him as our backup. You know, we talked a lot about about quarterback controversy. Controversy. You know, uh, the last quarterback controversy the Giants had was Phil Simms versus Jeff Hostetler in uh, 90, 91, 92. And I was a Phil Simms guy. Was and still remain to this day a Phil Simms guy. So that was tough uh, seeing Jeff Hostetler. It was like I begrudgingly forced myself to cheer for Jeff Hostetler in the playoffs. And uh, obviously when he won the Super Bowl. Um, but it was like, because uh, I was such a diehard Phil Simms fan that I couldn't, I couldn't just enjoy the team's success. That being said, I was 10, dude. 
it was 10. And looking back on it, it's like, I wish I would have appreciated and had been more grateful for, for Haas than I was. Um, but it was like, oh, this should have been Phil's Super Bowl. <laughs> should have been Phil's playoff run. This should have been Phil, Phil, Phil. And it's like, well, your team's still winning and it's pretty cool and uh, embrace it. So, um, yeah. So, I, you know, I that was a long ass con- con- quarterback controversy. It lasted for so goddamn long. And, uh, you know, it's it, it does a number on the fans psyche for sure. And then I can only imagine what it does on the psyche of the team, you know, not really knowing who you're dealing with week in week out. So, uh, I don't, I still don't think we're in that territory yet. You know, there are a lot of our, you know, it's Tyrod's been playing with Saquon. Daniel Jones was not really playing with Saquon for after the Arizona games. Um, you know, as much as people like to downplay Justin Pugh, like people either, you know, we're fanatics. I get it. You know, we're not level-headed. You either think that Justin Pugh has uh, sparked the renaissance for the offensive line, or you think that he has nothing to do with it, and he's just as bad as uh, all the rest. But the offensive line play has improved. And Tyrod Taylor has benefited from it, benefited from it. So I think, you know, if Jones is healthy, which they say he is, even though he's not cleared for contact. So it's like, how can you be healthy and not clear for contact? You know what I'm saying? Um, if he is clear for contact, if he is healthy, if he does play against the Jets and stinks, there we go. At that point, it's like, uh boy. So, but um, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think you're going to see a different Daniel Jones against the Jets. Now, would I be extra cautious? I'm leaning towards being extra cautious. It's like if he's healthy, great. And if he's clear of contact, great. But, you know, would it hurt to get one more week of rehab and rest and all that stuff? Do I have the confidence in Tyrod Taylor to go out there and beat the Jets? Yeah. This is the beauty of having a good backup quarterback. Like we need to embrace it and love it and welcome it into your lives because we didn't have a good backup quarterback for so long. I'm going to go on a limb and say that Tyrod Taylor, best backup Giants quarterback since Jeff Hosteller. Is that fair to say? Yes. I mean, I don't know what the the 90s were just like, tough, tough sledding. It's like Danny Cannell was, I guess, was the backup and became the starter. I don't know. But uh, maybe you'd say David Carr when he was backing up Eli, but he didn't get a ton of opportunities, right? So I'd have to go Tyrod Taylor's best backup quarterback since Jeff Hosteller. And uh, it's a good, it's champagne problems, right? It's a good problem to have. I'd rather have this than... uh, Jake Fromm or fucking Mike Glennon, because neither of those dudes are gonna were, would have beat the Commanders or even put up a fight against the Bills. So, thank God for Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> thank God for Tyrod. Uh, I'm on board. I love him, and I'm glad that he's part of the team. And it, we're now at the point where you have two good quarterbacks, and you you almost at the point where you could start either one, and you feel good about your chances to win. So, I think it's a good problem to have. Again. Probably not great for the fan psyche. Probably not great for the team psyche. 
And I don't know how long that can last because it might wear thin. But just knowing that you could start either one, it's got to, at least from the coach's standpoint, has to bring you some sort of relief. Uh, Giants had six plays that gained 20 or more yards against Washington, their highest total since they had eight in an overtime win against New Orleans in October, early October 2021. That was the game where I really thought that the 2021 Giants turned it around, and this was the springboard into success. <laughs> I was dead wrong. Uh, the Giants had five receivers with a reception of at least 22 yards for the first time since... The overtime victory against the Saints in uh, October 3rd, 2021. I mean, that game in October 2021, everything was clicking. Not the whole game. I, I think it was the second half, maybe in the fourth quarter. But it was like Galladay's getting involved. Uh, Kadarius Tony, Saquon Barkley, you know, Shep, Shep. I mean, it was like everyone's getting involved. And it was like, oh, my God, our offense is unstoppable. <laughs> like, if this is what our offense can do and can be, we're going to the Super Bowl. And no, not even close. So uh, uh, Jalen Hyatt is getting more playing time, and he's rewarding that decision with some uh, explosive plays. He has four catches of 25-plus air yards this season. Only seven other receivers this season have accomplished that. Among them on the list, A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, and Tyreek Hill. So that's pretty elite company to be in. And he's only he's done all that on just 14 targets. So crazy that uh, I think most defenses, most teams like Washington, just uh, I guess poorly coached. You know, judging by what Jonathan Allen uh, said in the post game press conference, where he's like, "I'm tired of the shit." It does. It doesn't. I don't know if it's a personnel problem for the Washington Commanders. I really do think it's a coaching thing, and to not and to know that Jalen Hyatt is has been or has been painted as a one-dimensional receiver that can only go vert and deep and then and yet you don't defend that kind of a uh, misfire on their part so uh but i mean that's that's you see what that can do i mean tyro with a beautiful ball both times down the right sideline um and hyatt picking up big big yardage big chunks um, you can see what that does. Kind of loosens up the defense, makes them not as confident in their their play uh, calling and whatnot. And, uh, you know, stretch the D, dude. That was the whole game plan, or at least the strategy that I thought that I was so hype about entering the season is like Slayton and Hyatt. Oh, brother. They're going to be stretching the field, and then you can then you just have Darren Waller chilling out underneath who can uh, pick up, you know, 9, 10, 11 yards of catch. So feels like we're starting to get into the flow of things with that. Um, speaking of Darren Waller, he led the Giants with seven catches for a season-high 98 yards. His first touchdown as a New York football giant. Touchdown capped an 88-yard drive, which was the longest since a 97-yard series at Washington, December 18th, 2022. <laughs> I wasn't kidding about these, st these stats and these notes. A lot of, a lot of first time since the last time. We played Washington. Uh, th that touchdown broke two long streaks. We had not scored an offensive touchdown uh, in, uh, since Matt Breida's eight-yard run in the third quarter at San Francisco on September 21st when we pulled in within five. <sighs> um, we thought, uh, do you believe in miracles? 
And uh, we went 220 minutes and 42 seconds of game time. 14 quarters, 38 possessions, 252 plays between offensive touchdowns. And it was even longer than that for a, a passing touchdown. It's, I mean, you want to talk about California drought of epic proportions. That's a drought and a half times five, bro. Barkley, Saquon Barkley. He led the Giants with 77 yards and 21 carries, added three catches for 41 yards. Uh, touchdown was Barkley's third overall and second on a reception, both team highs, which is a little bonkers considering he's missed the past how many games? Um, he lo- he did lose the fourth quarter fumble that we talked about. It was just the fifth time he's fumbled and the second time he's lost one in almost 1,300 career touches. I mean, we take it for granted. We really do that he's secure with the ball 99% of the time. Fifth time. Second time he's lost one in 1,300 career touches. The guy just simply does not fumble. So honestly, I'm not going to get on him for this, especially considering the fact that he took a hit, I want to say earlier in the game, when Cody Barton was still in the game. Because I think Cody Barton left with an injury. I think it was on that same play where he knocks Saquon out of bounds and Saquon comes up kind of shaking his left arm. He like fucked up his elbow or something on that play and he had to wear like a big sleeve after that. And I have, you have to think that that contributed to him fumbling. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on him for that. I'm not going to overreact to that. Sorry. Not sorry. Uh, Barkley has the fewest fumbles among the 12 active players who have handled the ball at least that many times. So giants had five different starting offensive linemen, uh, line combinations tied for the most in the NFL entering week seven. Uh, and you know, that's a major reason for the woes, right? It's the durability factor. You look at like the, the, uh, probably our best offensive line ever question mark with David deal, Sean O'Hara's rich Seibert. Um, all those dudes played a hundred plus consecutive games without missing one, you know, or, or they rarely miss games, you know, um, until the later on the end of their career. But we just haven't had the same five dudes start on the offensive line for more than a week. That, I mean, I know that other teams have injuries on the offensive line. And I know it doesn't impact them as much. But when you have this many injuries and this much turnover on your offensive line, it has to affect a performance. Um. I mean, Tyree Phillips was pulled off the Eagles practice squad <laughs> on Tuesday and started. Literally, pewed, pilled, literally pulled a Justin Pugh straight off the couch, dude. Uh, or straight off the practice squad, I should say. Um, still flummoxed as to why he was released and cut. Um, after playing 12 games for us last year and outplaying Matt Parrott, who just recently went on the IR. So it looks like Tyree Phillips is secure on the roster, which is great um, for when uh, Neil comes back and Thomas comes back. And Mark Lewinsky. Hmm. We shredded this dude, said uh, we want to run him out of town, and for good reason. He was atrocious, lost his job, and then was forced back into the lineup 
due to injuries. <laughs> um, he posted an 83.3 PFF pass blocking grade. Uh, 82.3 points higher than his week one pass blocking grade. <laughs> his last two games, there's, uh, he's had 79 pass blocking snaps and only one pressure allowed, zero sacks allowed. So sometimes you just have to light a fire under a player's ass, no matter how old they they be. So uh, whoa, wouldn't it be nice if Mark Lewinsky came into form, came into shape, uh, and then you, you've you gone from now a dearth of talent on the offensive line where it's like you, you don't have anybody to, ooh, Andrew Thomas is coming back, Evan Neal's coming back, Justin Pugh's in the mix, do we put him at guard, do we put him at tackle, you know, you, you have some options there. So we should have scored 21 points or at least 17, you know, at least 20 points. You know, Graham Gano had the missed field goal from 42 yards. Uh, the wind was a bitch, so I'm not going to, He's Mr. Automatic, and he, he can only do so much, especially in like severe conditions. So, um, it sucks, but I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna like crucify him for it. So there's that. There's the fumble by Barkley. You know, I think we should have won this game handily instead of it coming down to the last possession, like it did in Washington last last year. Leonard Williams blocked Joe Joey Sly's 27 yard field goal attempt in the fourth quarter. It was our first block since October 15, 2017, when Kerry Wynn blocked Brandon McManus's 53 yard try in Denver when we upset them 23 10. It ends the NFL's longest active streak of opposing field goal attempts without a block. It's the first block of his nine year career. Uh, huge. So, yeah. Leonard Williams having a little bit of a, you know, a second wind, looking like maybe he's coming into form. I thought when they rattled off the stat on the broadcast that they were going to say that the last blocked field goal was the JPP blocked field goal. Um, the last Giants player to accomplish the feat of having a field goal block and a sack in the same game was J- JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul at Dallas on December 11th, 2011. A game, not only a game-saving block, a season-saving block. JPP had two sacks among his team-leading eight tackles and his block of Dan Bailey's 47-yard field goal attempt with one second left to preserve the Giants' 37-34 victory. I mean, that was the beginning, pretty much, of like, oh boy, here we go. We got this. We're unstoppable. It's 2007 all over again. Giants use three punt returners. Eric Gray is, uh, I don't think he's a punt returner. I don't know. Call me crazy. He had one return, a fair catch before leaving with a calf injury. He got bent over backwards on that one uh, that he muffed. Got replaced by Sterling Shepard, who then uh, gained 10 yards on three runbacks, but muffed a punt in the third quarter, leading to Washington's only touchdown. So everyone's saying, Shep's not doing anything. Throw him back there. Eh, maybe not. And then Darius Slayton was called on to return punts for the first time in his five-year career and had one fair catch. And he got a nice little... Brooklyn Bronx cheer, sarcastic cheer. We had eight punts. It was our highest total uh, under Dable. Previous high was seven in a 2002 home game versus Washington that ended in 2020 tie. Kind of a side note, we went to the playoffs that year, correct, under Fossil. That was the, uh, when we lost the the 49ers in San Francisco, biggest blowout, big, biggest blown lead 
in the playoffs in franchise history. 1997, we tied with the Washington Commanders and we went to the playoffs. We won the division and went to the playoffs. And then 2022, we tied with the Washington Commanders and went to the playoffs. So I'm okay if we tie them next time in Washington. Feels like a good omen. <laughs> Dory Jackson was inactive for the first time this season with neck injury, uh, which he saw, sustained last week in Buffalo, which is odd because he came back into that game. So crazy that he's allowed back in that game, not allowed to play in this game, reminiscent of Daniel Jones when he suffered the, ne- the neck injury. Um, so I'm like, people are like, we're going to get a Dory back. And it's like, eh, we're going to get a Dory back. Like, I don't know that he's that much of an upgrade anymore. Trey Hawkins got the start over Jackson or for Jackson. Um, he's played just 25 defensive snaps in the previous three games after logging 148 in the first three. So yeah, quite the fall off from Trey. So with the punt return issues and the problems, and that's the, Giants commanders to recap. You're welcome. With the punt return problems, we went out and signed uh, special teams ace Gunnar Olszewski. Definitely butchered that. Signed to the practice squad. He was a first team all pro with the Patriots in 2020. Someone uh, posted a fuck it Gunnar Olszewski highlights and it was all his fuck ups with the Steelers that ended up getting him cut (laughs) or waived or whatever. So, yeah, I, you know, anything's better than nothing, I guess. Can we just put all 11 guys in line, try to block every punt? I don't know. With Eric Gray's injury and Gary Brightwell also having a hamstring injury, we went out and signed running back just Sean Corbin from the, uh, I think, Carolina's practice squad. And then we also signed outside linebacker Justin Hollins to the practice squad, which is kind of interesting. And then uh, we claimed running back Deion Jackson off waivers from Cleveland, which they're having all kinds of running back issues over there. They lost Chubb for the season. And then uh, what's his face? The guy they have on my friggin' fantasy team, Ford, is now doubtful. So now they have Pierre Strong. I think he's now starting. All right. Let's preview the Giants versus Jets game. Uh, if you prefer to call it the Snoopy Bowl, I kindly ask you to leave. This is <laughs> this game is taking place on Sunday, October 29th, the Halloween game. One o'clock start at MetLife Stadium, formerly known as Giants Stadium. No big deal. Jets are favored by three. Over-under is 37. <sighs> That's a low total, but I honestly still would take the under. <laughs> and uh, minus three Jets, mm, I guess. I mean, they did... Come close to beating the Chiefs, probably should have beat the Chiefs, beat the Eagles. The defense is just on another level right now. Uh, they're leaders in the clubhouse for the Jets. Zach Wilson, thrown for almost 1,100 yards and four touchdowns. He's looking, I guess, better than a lot of people would have thought or expected. Garrett Wilson, um, their offensive rookie of the year last year. 32 catches, 369 yards, two touchdowns. Brees Hall, who probably would have been the offensive rookie of the year if he didn't get hurt, 66 carries for 426 yards and two touchdowns. So Brees Hall is a problem. Garrett Wilson's a problem. Last five matchups have been a doozy. November 2019, we lost 34 to 27. 
December 2015, we lost 23 to 20. That was that was the backbreaker. That was uh, you know, last second field goal from I don't know how far out. I think it was like 50 some odd yards. With the dagger. Um Prince of Muk Amaka Muka Maka Maka. Prince of Mak come on now. Come on now. Prince Amukamara getting uh mossed by Brandon Marshall in the end zone. Uh, that felt like a very winnable game that we lost in the last minutes, which was a common theme in 2015 with our defense. And then uh, Christmas Eve 2011, who could forget? We beat them 29-14. Uh, of course, the the highlight from that game that we see every year is Eli throwing the Victor Cruz. We were on our own one. Eli throws the Victor Cruz uh, out on the and the and the uh, outside the numbers short pattern, and then Cruz takes it to the house. And then November 2003, the Kerry Collins led, I believe this was Kerry Collins, led Giants, beat the Jets 31 and 28. So we lead the all-time series eight to six, which we we went from like the most played all-time series against Washington, where it was like 110 and 74 and two to eight six. <laughs> um yeah. And I won't even go over the matchup that we had with the Jets in 88. Mm. Season where we probably should have gone to the playoffs. And we didn't because we lost the Jets at you know in the final one of the final games. It's not the final game. I definitely wept that night. So Jets are two and two at home, one and one on the road. Giants are one and two at home, one and three on the road. Uh it's technically a Giants home game. So take that for what it's worth. Uh we are still dead last in points scored. <laughs> We're at 12.1 points scored a game. Oh boy, that's hard to look at. Uh Jets are 22nd in points scored per game per game at around almost 19. Their defense has allowed less than 20 points per game. They're third ranked 13th in the league. We're allowing almost 25 points per game, which is 23rd. But if you take the last two games, maybe mix in that Seattle game numbers significantly lower jets are plus five and takeaway differential which is seventh in the league we're minus four which is still 26th crazy to think that we haven't really been turning the ball over that much in the past couple of weeks but yet we're still we turned it over so much in the first three or four weeks and that's probably what's leading to that number and then uh jets are dead last in passing yards per game at 32nd and we're 14th in the league in defensive pass yards per game. And I think that number is only going to improve. So I do not think they're going to be able to pass the ball on us. I'm like fairly, fairly certain of that. Jets are 12th in the league in rushing yards per game, whereas we're 27th in rushing yards allowed per game. So that's where I could see us having some problems and some issues where Brees Hall just runs a buck wild all over our asses. Um, we're 21st in rushing yards per game. Uh, Jets defense is actually 26th in rushing yards per game, which is interesting. So maybe we do get the run started up in here. Maybe we do rattle off some runs and we just ground and pound and ground and pound and wear them down and wear them down and wear them down. Are we looking at a repeat of the Texans game last year where Barkley reeled off 35 carries? Nah, probably not. And uh, we're 29th in passing yards per game. And uh, the Jets' defense is 15th in the league 
in defensive passing yards allowed per game. So I don't know if Sauce Gardner is going to go back. He was out due to an illness, I think, was the injury report. Maybe it was a concussion, but I think he's going to come back. So I think they're getting some some guys back in the secondary. Um, so I don't see us being particularly successful in the passing game unless Dave's and Kafka um, really employ the run and play action. And if our defense can hold up and we don't get down by multiple scores, let's just stick to that. Let's run, play action, run, play action. Let's move Tyrod out of the pocket and, uh, you know, let's just uh, take what we can get. So uh, I am predicting, a, whew, like I said, I think I said the previous week, I could see this being like a nine to six, six to three game. <laughs> I think there's going to be like we saw so many punts in the Giants Washington game. I think we're going to see so many punts in the Giants Jets game. I just don't see this being a high scoring game. With that said, watch them fucking light up the scoreboard. <laughs> watch them just go ape and uh, set records and points scored. So that's the Giants Jets preview. Quick look ahead at the remaining schedule. If we do extract a dub against the gangrene, we'll be three and five. And we have the Raiders in Vegas. Afternoon game, Sunday week nine. Raiders, I don't know, man. I don't think they look good. Just got blown out by the Bears. Bears were playing their backup quarterback. Was his name Bagent? Bagent? Um, Dad's an arm wrestler. Justin Fields wasn't playing, and they put up 30 against the Raiders. So Brian Horror was starting. I don't know what Jimmy G's situation is, but you got to feel like that's we get a pretty good chance to get a dub there. Then we're playing at Dallas on November 12th. And, you know, what more can you say about the freaking Cowboys and the lack of respect they have for our organization <laughs> from head to toe? From the CEO and the owner to the janitor. They just like, they just, they spit in our soup. And uh, who knows? Hopefully, I mean, if I'm Dabes, I put on the tape from the, from the season opener. And I, and I, and I specifically focus, like if they have any shots of the Cowboys laughing and just been like, just mocking and ridiculing us fired up and it doesn't even have to be from the season opener it can be from the last 11 billion times we've played them and how they just laugh in our face every freaking time play that get as fired up as possible and stick it to them hmm. like i don't even think the cowboys should have beat the chargers i think the chargers bungled that one so i you know i, I want to see I just want to see competitive football, you know? I know that on part of my take, they say, like, don't say must compete. It's a must compete. If we really think we've uh, turned the corner, we turned the page, we're on the up and up, you got to take it to them. Two to the clock hits zeros, all zeros. You know, really make them earn it. Now this, uh, hey, uh, would you like some points? We're giving away points. Um, and then we go, we go to Washington, face the commanders again. Now that's probably a win, but it's not going to, it's, it's never easy and it's going to be, I'll have some heart palps for sure. It's definitely going to be nerve wracking. 
and uh, not great for the for my state, mental, physical condition, anything like that. It'll come down to the to the end again, yet again. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll uh, it'll be a clean victory, and we won't have to worry about any asterisks. And then we had the Patriots, which before the Buffalo game, I would have said we're going to steamroll them. And now it's like, uh, is Buffalo suck? Is New England back? Tough to say, but you got to feel like that's the one. So if we can get to 500 by the bye week in week 13, it's right there for the taking. Here's your shot. Here's your opportunity. Here's your chance. I mean, you can see what happened to certain teams when injuries happen. San Francisco loses to Minnesota on Monday night because they were out without Debo Samuel and they were without Trent Williams. A star player and a star all-pro left tackle. Sound familiar? We didn't have Thomas. We didn't have Barkley. Um, so if we, you know, once we get healthy, it's like if we get all our injuries out of our system in the first half of the season, that's, I'll take that in a heartbeat. It's not how it starts, how you finish, bro. It's a long season. So that's the Giants. And then I'll quickly end the pod with my thoughts about the MLB playoffs, both championship series are now finito Rangers advance the world series beating the Astros. Thank God. Um, I am uh, Scherzer did not look good in game seven. I think he lasted three, four innings. Uh, luckily the offense came out, showed up and showed out and put a whooping on the Astros pitching staff, putting up like 10 runs. I think it was so very happy to see the Rangers in the world series and not the Astros. Uh, I am not the kind of Mets fan that wishes ill upon Scherzer or DeCrom. Now, does it feel good to see them struggle and, and not flourish, uh, you know, continue to struggle like they did with the Mets? Like, there's a part of me that's like, eh, it's, I don't hate that. <laughs> it's like... You know, but at the same, in the same breath, I say that I am happy for Max Scherzer and I am happy for Jacob DeGrom. Um, and, you know, for the Mets fans saying, it pains me so much to see DeGrom win a World Series ring in his first season with the... Dude, regardless, like, he just... He deserves a ring. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want him to be the Dan Marino of Major League Baseball. He deserves a ring from how he's pitched both in the regular season in the playoffs, if he just stayed healthy, you know, um, but I want to see him get a ring and Scherzer Scherzer. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know that we grew that attached to him in his year and a half with the Mets. Um, I don't think he ever really consistently played up to the expectation level that we had for him, I guess more so in 2022 than 2023, but it kind of feels like he's cooked, right? It kind of feels like he's done. Um, I, I think I, if it were like most, like 95% of other players, I think they would retire after this season, especially if he wins the World Series, but it's Max, and I think he's he's simply mad. And uh, I do think that it, even if he does win a ring with the Rangers, he's still going to try and start next year. And he's going to get pissed when people are like, oh, what do you think about the bullpen? So I'm not I'm not the Mets fan who's going to sit here and say, no, I don't want Scherzer and DeGrom. I'm not going to stew about it. Like, yeah, they're both great pitchers. 
And it's, uh, especially with DeGrom, it's, I'd, I'd love to see him get a ring. Now we move on to the NLCS. The Arizona Diamondbacks. We're down 3-2 to the Philadelphia Phillies. And then in game six, they win. And in game seven, they win. Both in Philadelphia at the bank, which has been hailed as one of the most intense electric stadium environments in all of uh, professional sports, right? Interesting that in game six, the Phillies were down four runs, maybe five. I think it was four. And fans were leaving in droves out of the stadium. I don't understand that. And that's a major bad look for the city of Philadelphia being a sports town to pay out the ass and to not even see it through to the end. Shame. And then to come out in game seven and uh, and not get it done. What's weird is I looked on the broadcast. There was a graphic that said this is the first game seven in Philly's history. They must have meant they must have meant a hmm. I think it was the first game seven in Philly's history, and uh, so far the record zero one. So very happy to see the Phillies eliminated, and now I can actually relax. So I don't have to worry about another Philadelphia team putting me through the ringer and potentially winning a goddamn championship because I can't take that anymore. Not good. So very happy to see them uh, go down in flames, dude. 3-2. Oh, so close. Um, and the, the Diamondbacks, what the fuck? <laughs> what the actual fuck? I mean, they're literally the Phillies from last year, pretty much. Um. I mean, Paul Seawald is their closer. Former Met was with the Mariners. Uh, 34 of 39 save opportunities. I didn't realize he was on that. He was on that kind of level, but. Uh, we owned, the Mets owned the Diamondbacks this year. So it's safe to say whoever we own, quote unquote, next season is going to the World Series because we owned the Phillies in 2022. Went to the World Series. We own the Diamondbacks in 2023. Hey, they go to the World Series. So Diamondbacks versus Rangers. Now, big question. As a Mets fan, who are you rooting for? Are you pulling for Tommy Pham, who essentially threw like pretty much everyone under the bus <laughs> when he left? Um, although it was like maybe that was needed in a weird way, like maybe you do need to call out a lot of players on this roster to be like, Hey, step it the fuck up. So maybe we do owe him a debt of gratitude. Um, Seawald, obviously, I don't think Seawald's too pleased with what happened with the Mets in his time here. So, uh, I know he's had some not so great words for the Mets organization, but I don't know about Mets fans. And then, uh, Rangers, you know, we talked Scherzer and DeGrom. Do we want to see them get a win more than Tommy Pham? DeGrom, yes. Scherzer, probably not. Who am I pulling for? D-backs or Rangers? Ooh. I mean, the D-backs, I love a good underdog story, and the D-backs are like one of the biggest underdogs uh, of recent memory. So I'm leaning towards the Diamondbacks, but I'm not going to hate if the Rangers win and DeGrom gets a ring. 
I'm gonna be happy for him. And uh, you know, and as Mets fans, it's like <sighs> see what can happen if we just win enough games to make the playoffs. <laughs> you don't have to win a hundred games. Just win like 85 to 90. 90 seems like the magic number. Pretty much all the teams in the LCS, the with ex excluding the Diamondbacks, had 90 wins. The Diamondbacks had like 86, 87 wins, which is, it just drives me nuts that this playoff format was not in place in the late 80s <laughs> or even the 80s in general. Because you, can you imagine how many times Mets teams would have probably gone to the World Series? I mean, there were a lot of seasons where they were winning way more than 90 games. I mean, there was one season they won 100-plus games and didn't go to the playoffs because it was like it's just the National League division pennant winner and the or National League East pennant against the National League West pennant winner. And that was that. So if we if we revert to the old school playoff format, you'd have Braves versus Dodgers, and then you would have I don't even know what it was in the American League. Orioles. I forget who the other team was, but yeah. So that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening, for letting me inside those sweet ears of yours. And also, thank you for taking me in with your eyeballs. It means a lot. And uh, Halloween weekend coming up. I'm I'm probably going to dress as a, uh, Jasmine. You know Jasmine from Aladdin? Probably dressing as her pet tiger. Ravij? Rajiv? Raj? Raja? Because my daughter is going to be Jasmine. And then uh, this weekend whole slew of activities planned not necessarily halloween related but it should be fun to tell you guys about next time so with that adios machachos